Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks. So before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we'd first like to implore you to please take a moment to subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, and also to please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Over the last six months or so, I have very closely teetered towards massively scaling back the show or folding it entirely into becoming more of a once a month sort of venture or a whenever we all have time sort of venture due simply to my personal career obligations. But yeah, despite heavily thinking about scaling the show back out of my love for content creation and out of all of our love-hate relationship with the Lakers this season, we have somehow managed to push through and continue producing this show at a weekly episode's pace, sometimes two episodes a week. But at the end of the day, we run on your guys' feedback and support. So if you guys would be so kind as to please, if it's within your means, to throw us a five-star tap on the Apple Podcast app, that'll go a long way in sustaining the show and ensuring its consistency to keep your ears litty and light, whatever the hell that means. Anyways, thanks for your support, and now, on with the showtime. Welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, with less than a week away till the NBA trade deadline, the Lakers are somehow hoping the asset beans that they have of THT, Kendrick Nunn, and a 2027 first round pick are actually magic beans that they can then turn into a tall-ass beanstalk that leads them to gold. Essentially, the Lakers are hoping they can get something out of none thing. Get it? Because Kendrick Nunn will likely be in any bigger time package that the Lakers end up trying to parlay. So, something out of nothing. Uh, Anyways, I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and today we have a special NBA trade deadline rumors episode featuring an actual well-sourced NBA reporter. So, in Tommy and Alan's stead, we are pleased to have on tonight Hoops Hype's Michael A. Scotto. So, buckle up and let's get to my interview with him right now. 
All right, so we are pleased tonight to have on one of the busiest men and NBA reporters outside of maybe Jake L. Fisher. Uh, we've got Hoops Hype writer and podcast host Michael A. Scotto. Uh, Michael, thanks for hopping on with us tonight on such short notice. Before we begin, uh, where can people find you and your work? Although I'm sure at this point you probably don't want any more people hopping into your DMs for any more podcast inquiries. But for the sake of widening your network and you know just sharing your work, if you want to share your Twitter, plug the pod, plug any articles, please feel free to do so now. Uh, it's all good. I get plenty of, of at mentions all the time. You can get me on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto, M-I-K-E-A-S-C-O-T-T-O. Obviously, all my written work is on hoopside.com. Um, you know, once in a while, uh, well, obviously I host the Hoopside podcast. Um, it's got the, it says the Hoopside podcast with Michael Scott. You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. I drop a lot of intel in there, um, especially, you know, to trade deadline. So mm-hmm. definitely give that a subscribe. And, you know, I'll pop into uh, Lakers Twitter spaces every now and then. Nets as well. Uh, I do like interacting with people on stuff like that. Um, sometimes when people will tweet, I don't always get to all of them because it's a lot, but I see them. Sometimes I laugh. Sometimes people <laughs> will, you know, wonder, oh, why would Eric Gordon want to go to the Pelicans, like you say? And then, or like, like, why would the Pelicans want to go after Eric Gordon? And it's like, well, Windhorse said the same thing today too. So, you know, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm just a messenger. I just report what I hear. So, um, pleasure to join you. I know we're going to talk a lot about NBA National and the Lakers, so it should be fun. For sure. And no, we appreciate the interaction and the transparency. Uh, Michael also had a great article out interviewing Michael Beasley, former Laker Michael Beasley, about that very regrettable season and also even more regrettable after hearing about everything Michael Beasley was going through. So make sure to check that out. Um, All right, let's get right into it because the NBA trade deadline, it's less than a week out at this point. That's the reason why you've probably been at that same chair for the last 12 hours and (laughs) do so again tomorrow. Um, So let's just jump right into it. It's all right here, brother. It's all right here. Nice. So at this point, less than a week out, what does the NBA trade atmosphere currently look like? Are we just in a Mexican standoff sort of situation where the teams are just waiting to see who makes the first move? Or are you hearing anything right now potentially bubbling to the surface? I think right now a lot of it is posturing to an extent. I think, um, you know, teams have some broad strokes of what they can do and, and, and they've had discussions the, the bigger question for some teams is, is there an actual offer on the board or not? That's a term executives will use a lot mm-hmm. um, when they go to trying to make a final deal. Um, you know, right now th- there's been a lot of talks. You know, you got your your clear sellers, you know, the Indiana Pacers are one. Um, you look at the Orlando Magic as another team looking to sell off, and they've got Terrence Ross, Gary Harris. Um, and you've got teams that are looking to buy, like Sacramento, uh, they're desperate to try to get back into the play-in tournament and the playoff hunt. Uh, you also have the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had a really good start to the season. They've got plenty of young guys. Uh, the Utah Jazz now, with Joe Harris being down, excuse me, Joe Ingles uh, being down for the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, they need to replace him and, and continue to try to compete. They've been on a little bit of a slide of late. So, you know, you've got your kind of ballpark parameters for what the trade deadline is going to look like. It's all about making it happen. I never um, look at the trade deadline and go, oh, when people go, oh, it's, you know, it's quiet, da, da, da. It's like, it's early. It's usually when it's quiet, it's the calm before the storm. So, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Good to know. So kind of jumping off that point about you mentioned the Sacramento Kings, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, 
Has the play-in tournament, in your opinion, changed things for how teams attack this trade deadline? You mentioned the Sacramento Kings already, so I guess in some ways it definitely has. But for other teams like the Pelicans, who are in the same boat, who, you know, normally in this position at this time of the year, these teams are already in tank mode for sure, and they're selling off players, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like there are more buyers this time. So just what's the effect of the play-in tournament? Are you feeling it reverberate around this, this time more so than previous years? Yeah, I think the play-in tournament has an effect. I think more teams like Sacramento, for example, would be trying to buy, uh, be a buyer than in the past. They could say the same for New Orleans as well um, in that regard because they could still try to get in the playoffs, show some type of progress. You know, they're still, you know, without Zion Williamson and they need to look to get better not only for this year but down the line as well um, while they have him under a rookie-scale contract. Um, Overall, though, I think... Really, a lot of the sellers, the the true sellers, are really the bottom teams that really don't have a shot at the play. And you look at the Pacers, you look at the Magic, you look at the Pistons. Um, you know, and out in the West, you've got the Rockets with Eric Gordon and Daniel Tice. And, you know, Oklahoma City, um, you know, Kenrich Williams is a guy that teams are looking at. Um, and also, you know, they've got $23 million or so to get to the salary floor so they could take in a lot of contracts and you know, Sam Presti's been collecting draft picks like Pokemon cards. <laughs> exactly. Um, last general question before we jump into the Lakers stuff, and we may come back around to general questions if we have time. But what, in your opinion, and I don't know if you know the, the, the answer to this, but this year, what would you say is the value of a first round pick or even a second round pick at, at this year's trade deadline? And I'm sure it shifts from year to year because it seems like a lot of teams want a first round pick. And the range of players that are being dangled for those teams is wide. We've got first round picks going for Miles Turner, which, you know, makes sense. But then we go all the way down to, oh, we want a first round pick for Kyne Rich Williams. We want a first round pick for Eric Gordon, who's like 33 years old. We already saw Cam Reddish get moved for a protected first that will likely be like a mid to high teens or early 20s first round pick. But I guess as it relates to the Lakers, then at the end of this, like what can a team like the Lakers get for two second rounders in cash, which is, I think, what they offered for Cam Reddish. But I guess the first question being like, like, what is the value of a first round pick versus a second round pick this year? And do you think that there will be lots of exchanging of hands of first round picks? Or do you think teams are kind of holding tight to those first rounders? Well, you look at the teams that are, you look at the teams that are opening to move a first round pick. Okay, so first off, that's teams that have multiple first round picks. The Knicks had that. That's why they were able to get Cam Reddish. Um, for one reason, then also teams like Utah, Cleveland, um, that they have a mix of young guys and they're trying to win now. They don't need that first round pick in their eyes. So they're trying to flip it for an asset. Now, in terms of what the value of a first round pick is generally first round pick, is usually a guy that you would look at as a potential starter. Now, Cam Reddish's situation is unique because he's still so young and early into his rookie scale contract that it's more of a forward thinking move there. Um, So like Miles Turner, for example, I mean, I've reported that he's, you know, they're looking to get two first round picks for him. Then he got injured. That kind of changes it a little bit because it's going to be tougher to get that. But the asking price is still there. Um, and, and, you know, second round picks are usually more for guys that are in the final year of a contract. You know, you saw that with Evan Fournier when he was with the Magic going to the Celtics. Um, you know, I could see that for a guy like Robert Covington, um, you know, multiple okay. second round picks there. I think, you know, I reported on Hoopsite, you know, the Pacers would welcome uh, multiple second round picks for Justin Holiday. 
Um, you know, those guys are more the fringe starters or, you know, top eight man rotation guy. Mm-hmm. First round pick, you're looking more at a guy that's got a better chance to be a solidified starter. Now, with that said, there are going to be teams out there that are going to ask for more than what a guy's worth because you set the value high and then when the team comes lower you're kind of meeting in the middle where you want to be anyway you know eric gordon i think is interesting because houston wants to get a first round pick for him i reported that on hoop site and you know are they going to get that would they get two second round picks maybe we'll see but when you've got teams out there that have a position in need like that like cleveland you know they have ricky rubio's contract and a first round pick maybe they're more willing to to give that up for a guy like Harris LeVert. Do they give it up for Eric Gordon? I don't know about that, but there, where there's a, it's all about supply and demand on the trade market. Now there are a lot of shooting guards on the market, Buddy Heald, um, you know, and, and you know, you touched on like Kendrick Williams is a guy that the Thunder want to get a first round pick for. They always sell high. So sure. But I don't know if he's going to get that. It's all about one beauties in the eye of the beholder, but also supply and demand. So I think someone's going to – I think certainly Karis LeVert can get at least one first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he'll get two. You know, I reported they wanted a, a good young player with him as well. So time will tell on that. You know, same thing with Gordon, but there's certainly a lot of guys out there. So if that's – you know, and Orlando wanted a first for Terrence Ross. You know, I think that was out there for Gary Harris. I don't see that, but um, that's just how it kind of the cookie crumbles. You know, if you have enough teams that want shooting guards, and I think there are a limited amount, I don't think there's a, a ton, you might as well put an ask of a first round pick and then let the team pick. Um, and then you can work your way down. If you feel like you're going to, you know, your way of getting a guy moved to one team instead of another is by reducing it to two multiple second round picks, then maybe that's what you do. And that's how you get a deal across. Sure, that makes sense. So you mentioned Justin Holiday. I don't know if you know what the value is of one of his backcourt mates, Tory Craig, but do you think that two seconds would also be in line with Tory Craig's value? Or, I mean, I, I I think it could be. I think if you're the Pacers, everybody and anybody's on the table. Sure. Um, you know, I I know certain Laker fans were in my mentions about trying to get Tory Craig and Justin mm-hmm. Holiday and. Um, you know, some Laker fans asked me if, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker moving him for like those two. And I was like, guys, you need to take it easy for a minute. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Um, yeah, I like exactly. Taylor, I like Taylor Horton Tucker. I know his value maybe is not what Laker fans thought it would be, but he's got a good contract. He'll grow into that. And I think that's going to be a good looking contract down the line for the Lakers. Um, the problem is he's one of the few movable assets they have. Mm-hmm. And Kendrick Nunn has not played, uh, which has hurt his stock a little bit. I think if he did play, it would help. You need him to kind of be a salary filler because he's mm-hmm. making mid-level money. Um, but I think if he was playing, it would have helped things a lot more. The the bone bruise has taken a lot longer to heal than anybody thought. For sure. And I and I think with THT, you know, even just from an optics perspective, for the Lakers who rejected a Kyle Lowry trade like last season, it would be quite the turn to all of a sudden then give up THT for Torrey Craig and Justin Holiday. Um, even though, you know, the straight swap would obviously help the Lakers quote unquote win now. But with that said, let's talk about the Lakers. Um what are you currently hearing on your end? Can the Lakers make 
lemonade out of the very limited lemons that they do have in THT, Kendrick Nunn, and the 2027 first. That's literally all they can give, and that's why you're, you that's why you're constantly hearing it uh, bandied about. So what are you hearing on the Lakers front? Yeah, that package has certainly been <clears> – <throat> that, that trade package of Taylor Horton Tucker, you know, Kendrick Nunn in the first-round pick um, has been dangled out there like, uh, you know, bait on a hook to get a fish in the ocean. Um, but that said, I mean – you know, as far as like which guys they're targeting, it was just to see if what they could get. Um, you know, they looked at a bunch of different guys. You know, they they looked at like Gary Trent Jr. on the Raptors, as I reported. Um, there's there's plenty of guys they like. You know, I'm sure. You know, Buddy Heald was linked to them before. I I don't know if that type of baggage is going to be something they're going to want to do now, but. Um, you know, I just think for the Lakers, they're just trying to see what that package can get. You know, I don't think it's enough to get a guy like Jeremy Grant. I know some Laker fans are asking me about that. Um, I don't see that yet. And I think for them, really, the biggest thing for them is going to just have to be, one, you need LeBron and AD healthy. When you have those two healthy, you got a puncher's chance with anything. Um, the chemistry fit with Russell Westbrook has been tough. Um, you know, at times it's looked like fitting a square peg into a round hole. But – um, at the end of the day, Russell Westbrook has been available for the Lakers, and, and they do need that on that team. Um, I just think it's going to come down to more marginal moves for the Lakers, guys on the back end like the DeAndre Jordans, Ken Bazemores, guys like that, um, and, and what they do there. I look for the Lakers to be more – I mean, they're going to try to be active at the trade deadline, but I, I look for them to maybe have potentially more results on the buyout market. Gotcha. So let's jump into that. Um, I'm not sure if it was you who reported it, mentioning that they were trying to, you know, find a trade partner for DeAndre and Bazemore, maybe even Dwight Howard. What will they have to do in order to do that? Uh, we've also heard that Palinka's kind of wary of attaching a second round pick to dump any of these players. But in your opinion, can they realistically trade any of these guys to a team who could use them or even use some extra cash kind of the same way they did with Rondo? Or do you anticipate like at the end of the day, push comes to shove. Okay, fine. We'll use a second. We'll attach a second to DeAndre just to get him off the roster so that we can, you know, make use of the buyout market. To me, I think if you're going to trade those guys, you need to take in incoming salary for further ahead, like for years to come, I think. Maybe even if it's into next year and a team wants to offload a guy. Um, you know, I would throw a hypothetical trade out there, right? Like if you're the Lakers and you really want Paul Millsap, you might as well call the Nets and see, hey, would you do like Kent Bazemore for Paul Millsap maybe? Mm. Something like that. Two guys – that haven't played a ton on both teams. I know Ken has like kind of resurfaced a little bit with the Lakers, but overall, um, and maybe see something like that. Um, you know, ultimately, if, if they can't move them, why would you? To me, what, what are you going to sacrifice a second round pick for just to move a guy? I know you save on a luxury tax, but it's like just wave the guy, keep the asset, and and you'll have a roster spot. Like that makes sense. So, so in your opinion, they've kind of only held on to them to this point to see if they can move them and maybe by if the trade deadline passes they can't find any takers that maybe they'll ultimately just end up cutting a guy for a buyout market guy is that what you're saying i i think that would make the most sense for them yeah mm. because their limited flexibility on the trade market is what it is mm. and i don't think you just move off Talon horton tucker for a very marginal gain this year you know right. at the end of the day 
you know, the fit with Russell Westbrook is what it is. I think it'd be very hard to move him um, because of his salary. And, you know, it is what it is. So to me, I think you kind of have to ride it out and hope mm-hmm. that the playoffs, it clicks and turns around and in some form. Sure. Now, do any of these guys actually have value? So, for example, if I had to pick, maybe I'd say Dwight in a very specific scenario could have value for another team, maybe a, a Golden, the Golden State Warriors if they want some extra center depth. Um, a guy like Wayne Ellington, I feel like, could have value because he still is a very prolific shooter. And I know the Dallas Mavericks just lost like Tim Hardaway Jr. for the season. Could you potentially see the Lakers maybe even flipping those two to a team who could use them and maybe even getting a second rounder in return? Or do you think at this point it's going to be like the Rondo deal where they'll just flip them and then they'll get another guy who they can cut on a non-guaranteed contract, et cetera? I mean, I think really a guy like Dwight... DJ, DeAndre Jordan, I'm referring to. I think their value is kind of what it is. If a team mm-hmm. has a need, they'll pick them up on a buy on market. I don't think really anybody's trying to trade for them. Um, you mentioned Wayne Ellington. Theoretically, could a team give up maybe a protected second round pick for him? I'm sure. I could see that. Because yeah. Wayne, you know, and the NBA teams value shooting. All teams right. shoot of some kind. He's a good locker room guy. Uh, been on a lot of teams in his career. I think that's like his kind of market if you were going to put him out there. You mentioned THT, and I just want to circle back to that. Um, So how do the Lakers view THT right now? And at this point, is there any chance he gets moved for a marginal name? Kind of like how I mentioned, okay, I don't think he'll be moved for Torrey Craig or Justin Holiday, but can... Is it safe to say that THT won't be moved for like Dorian Finney-Smith, who's like a good player? The Mavs Mavs really value him, but they do have some decisions to make with him, you know, coming up this summer. But is that something that could happen? Or you're like, no, the Lakers value him more. And even if they were to trade him, they think that maybe a better trade package can come together in the offseason or next season. I don't think they're just going to move him for a marginal gain. I think if you're moving Taylor Horton Tucker, it's for something of substance. You got to remember, too, um, you know, that's LeBron's guy. They're both a clutch sports. I do think those relationships matter, number one. Number two, you, know, you touch on Dorian Finney-Smith. I'll just address that one real quick. Like Dorian Finney-Smith with the Mavericks, they're not trying to move him unless they're getting a guy that can help them sure. win now. I don't know if Taylor Horton Tucker would be that guy for them. Um, you know, I, I think Dallas, they love him for his defensive ability. Um, you know, and then in the offseason – you kind of go from there and, and, you know, you can always like, I think people forget this too. Um, you can always do a sign and trade with a guy and still get some value back. I, if the, if, I think we've seen that more over the years past, especially when it comes to the restricted free agency market where last year, no one signed an offer sheet. A lot of those guys, you know, Larry Markinens, uh, Devonte Graham, that was all sign and trade stuff. Right. Shifting over to, um, the grown version of THT and Russell Westbrook. That's a, that's a weird way of framing it. Um, but based off of what you've heard of what the Lakers have sort of tried to do in the last few months or so, if you had to make an assumption on what the Lakers thinking is, how would you say, and I'm again, I'm not saying that you know that the Lakers actually view this, but based off of what you've seen, in your opinion, how would you say they view the Russell Westbrook experiment? Are they self-aware enough to realize that maybe they botch things a little bit and regret the move that strapped them? Or do they still believe in the big three, chalk everything up to injuries, and they'll make moves to see if they can salvage this? I think the Lakers realize that the Russell Westbrook fit has not gone according to plan. Mm -hmm. um, And that, you know, 
it is what it is. I, I don't, you know, I know when they made that trade, how hard it was for them to do because they had to incorporate like three guys with pretty decently high salaries. Um, I think it. I think they realize kind of it is what it is, and they need to do everything they can to put Russell Westbrook in the best position to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why Palenka reportedly had a long talk with him after he was benched in the fourth quarter by Frank Vogel um, uh, earlier this season. So to me, it's they're going to have to just try to make it work because it is what it is at this point. Um, you know, if they were able to trade Russell Westbrook, I'd be a little. I'd be surprised um, overall. Do you think that story changes in the offseason when they kind of have like a clean slate or do they want to try and work the Da Vinci code again next year? I think in the offseason, you know, I will say there's been plenty of guys you think, oh, that guy's never going to get traded and then they get traded. But in the offseason, when you got a guy on one year left, which, you know, you're assuming he's going to opt into player option and everything. Um, yeah, I would I would say there's a better chance. It's just going to still be complicated because salary is so high mm-hmm. to to match that number. You know, unless you're flipping them to a team like OKC or yeah. I, I just just as an example to get off his number. But you're not going to do that because then you're going to have to attach an asset. I don't <clears throat> see them necessarily trying to do that. So, yeah, I think maybe teams would be slightly more open to it. And if a team is desperate, um, you know, you never know. Um, you look at that's the other thing. Um, supply and demand. Right. So if you're the Kings and you're looking to move them on to Sabonis. I mean, excuse me, if you're the Pacers, you're looking to move DeMond to Sabonis, I'd be hitting up the Kings, and I would try to take them for everything because they're clearly trying to add a, an all-star and a guy and a front-court guy would help them because they like uh, the Aaron Fox, they like Tyrese Halliburton, they drafted Davion Mitchell, they've got their backcourt. Front-court's where they've struggled. Marvin Bagley hasn't panned out, Rashawn Holmes. Um, you know, they re-signed, but obviously DeMond to Sabonis would be a huge upgrade for that front-court. So – you know, you try to squeeze a team like that sure. for everything you can. Yeah, that makes sense. And for the Lakers, you know, I personally feel like it would behoove them if they already know that this thing went awry and that, you know, this is probably not going to work heading into next season just so that they have more of a clean slate. I think it would behoove them to try and find, even if they, to at least, you know, make some calls to see if they can get off Russell Westbrook versus going into next season trying to work this whole thing out again and rejigger things and then have to do another shift uh, mid-season. But we'll see what happens. Um, to close this episode, let's go back to general NBA questions. Um, buyout market, are you hearing anything on that front? And do you think it's going to be, well, it's never usually that robust, but I guess how did how is it looking to shape up this year? This is how I'll answer that. Have I heard names? Yes. Will I say who they are? No. Because they okay. get traded. Because they get traded the dynamic could change. Sure. They could go to a team that they are going to play for. And some guys now hadn't been playing. They got showcased or whatever, and they're making, they're playing well. And that might change the dynamic. It's, it's still, it's still a little early. And I think a lot of teams on principle may not want to buy out a guy because for future references, then if, you know, then you try to, if you're that team, you try to get a second round pick for a guy in a similar situation. A team's going to say no because you just bought out a guy the year before. We know right. we've seen this before, so I could see a little bit of that posturing going on. Um, there's a lot of guys that are going to be talked about, but ultimately, you're not taking a buyout unless one, you've made a lot of money in your career, and two, 
you know on a back end, wink, wink, you have something lined up. And you're lining it up for the difference of the money you're losing. And that goes as high as Kemba Walker when he got bought out and then was able to recuperate money with the Knicks. There's no way he was doing that without kind of knowing that. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it, it would be bad business. So let's say, and I'm just using hypotheticals too, so that you're not saying specific names, but for the likes of guys like Thad Young or a Daniel Tice and a Derek Favors, who for sure, you're just like, what the hell would these teams do with them anyways? And they probably want to play more. In general, do you, for these types of scenarios, do teams typically work out a deal with them where they're like, hey, look, we're going to hold on to you till the trade deadline, see if we can get some second rounders for you and put you in a situation to succeed. If nothing ends up materializing, then maybe we can work on a buyout after that time passes. So to answer your question, depends on the team. There are some teams that are very blunt and honest and will work with you. I've spoken to agents and they like that. They're very direct. Others, they're kind of more, well, we'll wait and see, and then they deal with it after the trade deadline. Um, but there are some teams that are forward thinking and more openly honest about their intentions. I have found that agents do prefer working with those teams because even if their guy is going to get the short end of the stick, um, they at least have that honesty and they, they, there's a hand in hand relationship of working together. Um, you know, there's been other times where a guy, you know, like for example, last year, JJ Reddick was pretty upset. He didn't get a buyout and he got traded. True. So, you know. That's what happens when you think, you know, you have an understanding and then you don't. Mm -hmm. Okay. So last two questions as we uh, race towards the deadline, do you anticipate this being a pretty quiet trade deadline or is that just like a tough, tough thing to answer? And who's the biggest name, name or names at this point that you foresee getting moved? We've heard Jeremy Grant, Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, maybe some Bradley Beal, De'Aaron Fox, et cetera, et cetera. For you, who... Who would be, if there was a big name to be moved, who are you putting your money on? First off, to say if it's going to be an active deadline or not, right now everybody will tell you it's quiet, but I think things are going to heat up in the next couple of days, and Mm -hmm. and that might change the dial on that. Who do I think is the biggest name that's going to get traded? Yeah, or moved. I would say, I don't know if it's the biggest name, but I do think like Karis LeVert will get traded. Okay. I yeah, think that makes sense. There's cause, because, and the reason I say that is because I think there's enough demand out there for teams that are looking for a guard, and there's enough teams that have not maybe fully what Indiana wants, but pretty close. And if they, if, if Indiana comes to that realization and they meet in the middle, I don't see why that, that couldn't be a guy that gets moved. I think Jeremy Grant, the asking price is pretty high. Sabonis, the asking price is pretty high. Um, you know, Bradley Beal, I don't see that yet. You know, the James Hardens, the Ben Simmonses of the world. No, like <laughs> those teams are hanging on to them and then they'll deal with it after this, this season uh, with all those guys. So to me, it's like, I would say Karras is, is a guy I'm looking at. And I don't know if it's the biggest name, but a notable one, I would say. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And a good kind of baseline expectation to kind of hang our hats on, I guess. Uh, lastly, are there any dark horse names we should maybe monitor who hasn't been popularly thrown about that you wouldn't be surprised gets moved? Or is Karras one of them? <laughs> no, no, I think Karras is, is pretty much out there. A dark horse name that could 
I'm going through the teams in my head and I'm thinking, hmm, nah, that's tough. Because chances are, if there's usually where there's smoke, there's fire. If it's mm-hmm. not and a guy's coming out of nowhere, that's right. kind of usually just got included in something. You at least kind of get some frame of mind. Um, I'll say I'll say this. I think in a name, if if this guy got traded, I think would be interesting, like Nick Claxton on the Nets. Because mm. Nick, I've seen a lot of Nick. I think he can do more than he's shown in Brooklyn as far as handling the ball and, and whatnot. Um I think he's an interesting name to watch. I don't know if I call. You, him, I don't know if I call him a dark horse, but sure. And presumably, they would be trading him for more established sort of player, theoretically. Yeah, you would think in like, in maybe a, a multiplayer deal or mm-hmm. something, because you know, he's essentially worth what a first round pick would be in some in some ways if you look at it that way, mm-hmm. and going to be restricted. So the team that would be trying to get him would probably have some type of a wink-wink conversation to know what his market is before you're going to trade for a guy that's going to restricted free agency. Nice. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, sorry, I lied to you. One last question. Since you're from New York, you're from that area. What are the Knicks doing <laughs> this this trade deadline? I know they want to do a lot of things. I heard Nerlens Noel is available, but are they going to actually be able to do something this trade deadline? I think they're going to try to open up some time for Cam Reddish. You trade a first-round pick for a guy. So I look at Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, see if they do something there. I think R.J. R. Barrett's staying. They know that. That's a core guy. Um, and in the backcourt, you know, they're waiting for Derrick Rose to come back. Um, I think that's something they're going to need to look at long-term and try to figure out um, what they're going to do there on that. But for me, I would look at to see if – like a guy, because like Alec Burks can help a playoff team. He could, mm-hmm. um, you know, Evan Fournier in theory could, but he's got a high cap number. But the Knicks made that trade for Cam Reddish, gave up a first round pick. They want him to play, so he hasn't played yet. So, if you're management, the way to do that is to clear out another guy, so you, the guy you brought in can play. Right. So no Russell Westbrook to the Knicks. I never bought that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I never. Ah, you, you know what? I mean, would it totally shock me? No. I mean, I've I've seen, I've seen a lot. It's, this is my tenth or eleventh year now doing this, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't shock me. But uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think Russ. If Russ gets traded from LA, that would be a blockbuster for sure. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for hopping on. I kind of closed the loop between the L.A.-New York connection and brought it back to Russell Westbrook going to the Knicks somehow. Uh, But we appreciate your time. Uh, Once again, if you want to plug anything, please go ahead and do so. Uh, No, just, you know, check out the Hoops Hype podcast, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Check me out on Twitter, at Mike A. Scotto, M-I-K-E-A-S-C-O-T-T-O. you know, maybe you'll see me in a Twitter spaces, but enjoyed the pod. It was fun to talk Lakers. I do enjoy corresponding with Laker fans. They are very passionate and a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and it's going to be a busy week coming up. So looking forward to it. Yeah, we appreciate your time and your insight. And we will be seeing more of you next week, I'm sure, on every podcast and on the timeline, on the spaces, et cetera. So we'll look forward to that and uh, see you after the trade deadline. Appreciate it. Yeah, we need a little every once in a while, you know, when you're texting and calling people all day, you need a little bit of a debrief and a break. So this was fun. Indeed.
credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.